0: hi everybody jp here want to take a moment to tell you about st john associates they're a great recruiting firm that was recommended to us by one of our listeners they've been around for over 30 years and they match thousands of physicians with practices and healthcare systems across the country they have an experienced team that works in all specialties including neurosurgery and orthopedic spine surgery and they have close connections with employers across the country they will look at your cv They'll match you with practices based on your preferences for geography and lifestyle. And all of this comes at no cost to the physician job applicant. So just visit them at stjohnjobs.com slash nspod to get started with your job search today if you're in the market. Again, that's stjohnjobs.com slash nspod. Following that link will let them know that you found them through us. This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast, here with another installment in our ongoing series about fellowships within neurosurgery. Tonight, I'm very excited because we have a a larger complement of guests than typically. Um, I've got three people joining me, all from one site at one of the preeminent neurooncology fellowships here in the United States. I'm speaking with all three current neurooncology fellows at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York City. I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Matthew Pease, who trained at University of Pittsburgh, who's there studying cranial neurooncology. Dr. Cole Lewis, who did his residency at UT Houston, also there for the cranial neuroonc experience. And then uh, one of my former chiefs and seniors, Dr. Ryan Khanna, who's actually doing an enfolded spine oncology fellowship um, in his PGY seven year of residency there at Sloan Kettering. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coordinating and giving your time to all come on together and talk about this fellowship.
1: No problem. Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it. Hey, JP. Oh, thanks.
0: Yeah. So I'll kind of just open it up to you guys. I mean, obviously, Oncology, uh, tumor surgery within neurosurgery is one of the major disciplines and major areas of general neurosurgery, but going that extra mile to study it as a sub-discipline, getting fellowship training, obviously you're giving a year of your life, a year of your attending practice. So clearly there's a lot of personal dedication that you have to sacrifice this time and energy to it. So I'll just open it up to you guys. What kind of sparked you to go down this road? What drew your interest? To neuro oncology, and uh, what what pulled you toward this fellowship that you're uh, about halfway done with?
2: Uh, so I think uh, so. This is uh, Cole. Uh, I think a couple things that really kind of made me go down this path. I I really enjoyed tumor surgery during residency, um, but I started to realize that we were getting a very limited viewpoint of the disease. Obviously, we were focusing on the you know the surgical section and you know. The, the care of the patient in that regard, but we're missing a huge part of the of the puzzle, which is the, you know, the preoperative uh, thought process that goes from an oncologic standpoint, as well as all the adjuvant therapies, uh, you know, treatment resistance, recurrence, et cetera. So I think I really wanted to get more of an exposure for um, a big picture perspective of treatment of the disease, not just the, the technical aspect, but more importantly, the the total kind of uh, pre-surgical through adjuvant therapy care of the patient, and so that uh, kind of pushed me towards wanting to do a neuro oncology fellowship. And I thought, um, where else better to do it than the Memorial Sloan Kettering?
1: I think Cole definitely uh, hit the nail on the head with that one, and sort of describing that we're trying to understand how our care as neurosurgeons fits within the overall cancer care of patients. We're a, a very small but important part of how cancer is treated in the world and we have to figure out how what we're doing interacts with someone's overall life goals and interacts with the the treatments that they're both have gotten and are going to be getting um working in a hospital where everyone's focused on cancer allows for just such an extreme amount of dedication um and hyper subspecialization that you have you know your mets guy and you have your you know a uh, person is doing you know, different part, sub- specialty parts of neuro-oncology that allow them just to get in-depth into the problems within their specific area and understand it better than uh, most people out there are doing. It allows you to have a better understanding of how to treat meds, how to treat other various disease processes very, very well. Um, and one of the biggest strengths, it's hard to say this as a neurosurgeon here, is the neuro-oncologist, just because of how much expertise they have, how coordinated the system is, how seamless it is to communicate with them and come up with a plan where um, us, the radiation oncologists and the neuro-oncologists are really working together to, to personalize each patient's care.
3: Yeah, this is uh, Ryan. Um, I have a little bit of different experience coming as the uh, spine, primarily spine focus fellow versus the other two are more cranial-based. But I think uh, one of the advantages of our training program here is that uh, while I am majority nine or ten months of the year uh, focused on spine, I do have uh, two to three months uh, on the cranial service. and it is one service, so I get to see the pathologies of of kind of all of neurosurgery. I kind of want to echo what my uh, two co-fellows have mentioned, Uh, but I think one thing, uh, especially in the spine arena that's really nice, is the getting to see, I guess, how well the other services, particularly the oncologists and the radiation oncologists, really work together um, with us as neurosurgeons to determine the best treatment paradigms for each of these patients. Um, I think, One thing that I was really looking forward to and which has definitely uh, surpassed my expectations is uh, all the um, knowledge I've gotten about systemic uh, therapy for these oncological uh, treatments and particularly uh, really have gotten to have finally have the time to learn from these various both radiation and uh, general tumor boards for uh, spine cases. You know,
0: it is interesting about this fellowship in comparison to some of the other subdisciplines. This is not, as you all rightly pointed out, this is not really a technical fellowship, so to speak. Obviously, when you go as a a postgraduate fellow, you're in a different hospital, different attendings, you're going to pick up technical tricks. You're going to see different ways that different people do things. But in comparison to, say, doing an open vascular fellowship, if you come from somewhere that doesn't have a lot of open vascular volume, or doing a spine fellowship in a similar circumstance, or doing endovascular, where you're getting credentialed to do an entirely different universe of techniques. This fellowship, um, the reputation has always been, and talking with you guys now, it seems to be more focused on the systems of care, um, research networks, pushing things forward with um, the basic science and clinical science of caring for these patients. So I wonder if did you guys have this interest when you were coming into neurosurgery? Did you envision for yourself a career of treating patients with oncologic disease at a deep level? Or did this develop during your residencies the more you were exposed to these people, the more you were taking care of them, and the more you were interacting with these other services that you've mentioned?
1: So, my piece here. So I can start by saying that my answer is yes and, and no. Um, I always sort of knew I was interested within cranial surgery. When I started out with neurosurgery, my research in medical school and in college is all geared toward that. I didn't quite understand the nuances of neurosurgery and how systems care applied until I sort of gotten further along in residency. And that's when I sort of realized the importance and value of a place like Memorial Sloan Kettering, where you can truly understand how you fit in the, the broader picture and sort of a bigger team. Um, and so I started out with an interest within neuro-oncology within taking care of brain tumors. And that sort of blossomed as I got a better understanding of exactly what that meant.
3: Yeah, uh, this is cool. I, I
2: have a similar uh, kind of interest. I came in and I very early on realized that I had more of a particular interest in, in the cranial setting. Um, and then just with more and more exposure to oncology patients, kind of developed the passion from there. Um, I think I definitely have, even though I came here with the mindset that this was just looking at more of a systems practice and the global view of the patient care, I think I've not only understood that part more, but it come to enjoy it that much more uh having been here. I think it, you know, it's changes the feeling of being the the technician to more being the, the patient's physician uh and and not just you know taking care of them when they're in the OR or immediately post-operatively, but you know, understanding the limitations of surgery, understanding the limitations of uh, non-surgical care and then being able to try to best mesh those together, I think is a really exciting and, and really fulfilling uh,
0: aspect of, of this field.
3: Uh, this is Ryan here. Uh, I think for me, I was always kind of um, interested in more in the general neurosurgery versus spines, um, subspecializing in like spine or a discipline within spine. And kind of throughout residency, uh, JP and I, obviously we trained at the same program and we have a good exposure to spine at Rush. And particularly uh, working with Dr. O'Toole, we did a lot of spine tumor cases. And um, even as a junior resident, kind of seeing the consults and working them off, I was always particularly interested in them. And during my senior years, I really enjoyed the cases. So uh, in terms of spine tumor fellowships, um, I got the chance to uh, meet Dr. Bilski at a couple different spine conferences. And uh, once I interviewed, I was kind of sold and and both for the technical aspect as well as the systems uh, aspect as well.
0: Yeah, that is a great point. And I I do love that we have um, the whole group of you with the more cranial focus and the spinal focus, because in particular, you know, thinking about spinal oncology, it is a very different universe of surgeries that you're doing compared to general spine surgery. There's different tissues involved. You're in different compartments than the vast majority of spine surgery. So that that is a whole different mindset and a whole different, uh, you know, universe that you're thinking in when, when you approach these patients. Um, I wonder, you know, with with these interests that you guys developed during residency and these plans, expectations, desires for pursuing this fellowship, now we're a little bit halfway through the academic year. I wonder if you can talk about some things that you've gotten out of this fellowship that perhaps you didn't expect going in and um, maybe how your experiences in the past seven or eight months have met with those expectations, exceeded them. What, what were you surprised by?
1: So some of the things I've gotten out of this, uh, this is Matthew Pease again, have been some of the stuff that I really wanted to get, uh, get out of it. I learned how to think um, from a more academic standpoint about how to approach uh, neuro-oncology problems. Um, some of the hardest things and why physicians often make some of the best, best researchers is we understand what are the, we see all these patients on a day-to-day basis, we understand what are the problems that our patients are facing and how do we craft research questions or strategies to treat uh, patients better. Um, and being in a cancer hospital where everyone's thinking about the same exact problems has allowed me to start thinking about cancer in a different way and understand how to academically approach approach it uh, at a much higher level. And that's something I was hoping to get out of my time here. And I think definitely something that I have been. Um, I've, um, one of the things I was sort of surprised about is the um, uh, amount of basic science and academic focus here. There's so many people who are giving lectures, teaching courses, that it's incredibly easy to jump um, into the basic science realm at MSK and start to learn the basics of how it works and how to incorporate that. Um, either into your academic career or in your your clinical career and get involved with clinical trials or other things like that. So that's definitely been a a very pleasant surprise. Ryan or Cole, I don't know if either of you have anything you want to add in on top of that? Uh, Yeah, I I think one thing that I, you know, it makes sense that we would have
2: been exposed to, but I didn't really appreciate it coming in was, um, you know, as we've talked about the big picture of the patient's care, I think understanding the limit, you know, the effects of oncology treatment on patients not just from a medical standpoint or side effect standpoint etc but the social aspect of it you know little things like you know problems with patients being able to make it to certain appointments certain you know, arranging radiation and chemo and how that all plays into um you know the timing of surgery and the timing of all of these other you know, treatments and so i think really understanding The the logistics of oncology care is is something that um I didn't I didn't appreciate how much we were going to get exposed to that here and I think it's really you know an awesome experience because um, sadly that's a huge limitation on a lot of these patients is is the logistics of things and so I think that was kind of a really eye opening thing here.
3: Um, I think though Ryan again I think the one surprise uh, coming from the spine end is I guess the emphasis that. uh, Everyone at the spine guys at least uh, placed on indications. Um, it's kind of nice here as a fellow, uh, which is definitely a big difference from as a resident, where we were showing up uh, early in the morning, leaving late at night. Kind of focused on our operative skills. Here it's kind of nice to see the kind of the continuity, uh, able to finally have time to go to clinic, able to see consults and kind of discuss. Uh, I guess not only what surgery we're doing, and I guess what why we're doing the surgery. Um, there's been plenty of times where at the beginning of the year, I would have been more aggressive about taking the patients to surgery. Uh, when my attendings, uh, all three spine guys would kind of uh, defer and explain to me why they wouldn't. And throughout the year, I've kind of uh, just from getting the experience and seeing, I guess, the complications, seeing, understanding why they don't. And I think they'll be better suited and better tailor my practice when I'm independent.
0: That's a great point, Ryan. And I I will remind our listeners, we actually had Dr. Bilsky on the podcast a few seasons ago, I think episode 52, talking about some of his uh, expectations for the next few decades in the field of spine onk. And you mentioned, you know, indications for surgery, obviously the gnomes criteria that came out of the group there. Um, So I just want to point our listeners back to that episode, great conversation with Dr. Bilsky. Um, I wonder for the people in training right now, listening to the show, we have a uh, a large segment of our audience is in residency, early residency right now. For those who might be developing an interest in neuroonk, and you know, like any subspecialty, it's not for everyone. But for those who have the itch and have the interest in neuroonk and think they might want to walk the same path as as you three and might want to pursue formal subspecialty training within it. What's the general timeline? What, what do the logistics look like in terms of pursuing this fellowship? You know, every subspecialty, there's a different average PGY that you apply. You know, who do you generally uh, write to and how do you get in contact? PEDS is a match, so th- things like that. So at least in your experiences, what was the process like pursuing and then securing this fellowship?
1: So it's changed a little bit, um, probably for the better since we applied. Um, and that all, uh, several of the major programs, um, MSK, Miami, and MD Anderson's have all got together to streamline the program between the three of them. Uh, there's obviously excellent, uh, great fellowships outside of those three places. Um, but, uh, now during your PGY five year, um, you apply to whatever programs you're interested in. Um, and, uh, at least for the three that I mentioned, they do interviews before a certain date and give out offer letters before a certain date. And then by this date, you're supposed to decide exactly when, you know, where you want to go if you want to go to one of those big programs. There's some other definitely big names. Um, Mayo Clinic has one you apply at the beginning of PGY five-year. UCSF uh, has accepted some fellows in the past. Um, Michigan has, I believe, a fellowship. Is there anything else? Any other major programs? I'm sort of missing uh, Ryan or Cole with the Um, neuro-oncology. That's certainly not an exhaustive list, but um, a lot of the programs are at the beginning of your PGY five-year. You go and try to find what you're interested in. Um, you apply. Um, it helps to have a mentor reach out on your behalf. I had a mentor who did a fellowship here. They reached out, and that was yeah, sort of invaluable. If you don't have someone who obviously has done a fellowship in one of these places, try to go to some of neuro oncology meetings. Um, email some of the, the big names, whatever program or city you're particularly interested in looking at. Start engaging in early conversations. Most people are very happy to have these conversations and want to have a fellow and a motivated and dedicated fellow. Um, so they're often very gracious and happy to chat with you and to give you advice. So Um, The earlier you reach out, generally the better, but the formal process of applying happens in the beginning of the PGY5 year.
3: Yeah, and I think just from the spine end, uh, as Matt mentioned, there's plenty of great neuro oncology fellowships. I think uh, from my peers who are fellows now and met at meetings, the spine um, pathway is a little bit different. I think here and MD Anderson are probably the two most formal of the spinal oncology fellowships. Uh, However, there obviously are a lot of great fellowships in. Comprehensive spine um like where j p and I train at rush uh there's a two month rotation on spine onc i believe uh i think u c s f has one, and there's obviously great spinal oncology programs even outside of the country um so I think that's another, and I know that the fellowships for those kind of might process might open up a little bit earlier um Brown I know has a great one as well, and I think that's early in p g y five so I think it's important to look at kind of all the options um. As you started looking at applying.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, a, an, another interesting point that, I mean, I'm halfway through my PGY4 year right now, so I'm starting to just hit the point where I have to seriously think about this stuff and, you know, do you do a fellowship? What fellowship do you do? Why do you want to do a fellowship, et cetera? So I know that a lot of junior <laughs> residents and a lot of people approaching mid-residency are all being faced with these questions now because, we're getting to the age where you kind of have to pull that trigger or at least start that work so that when the time comes to apply you're ready and you're informed. So again, geared toward those people that might have an interest in neuroonk, maybe you could talk a little bit about not just what you're getting out of this fellowship right now, but what do you intend to do with your careers that you think this fellowship was either necessary to achieve or is making you, you know, significantly more capable of achieving. What what doors uh, is this fellowship unlocking for you so that maybe people will hear your career plans and, and hear the kind of practice you're envisioning and think, oh, well, I want to have a job like that. Maybe I should do a fellowship if that's the way you get to that job.
1: Uh, sure, I'll, I'll go first. This is Matt Pease again. Um, I think that um, the one of the major benefits of the fellowship, especially the fellowship of a large program, is it opens up another major network for you. You have your network of people who went to your residency program, um, even people who didn't directly meet. Often you'll meet out in meetings or you didn't overlap with. Uh, they're they're on your team. and They want to help you. Um, and by doing by going and doing a fellowship, you open up a whole other avenue of of both attendings and previous graduates who want to help you. Um, it gives you an immediate amount of credibility in terms of um, applying for jobs because you have two groups of people who can vouch for you, um, and that's helpful in sort of the immediate term and the long term for. What I'm really interested in doing is I want to run clinical trials uh, within neuro-oncology and going to a large center that runs more clinical trials than pretty much anyone else. Um, There's formal coursework I'm taking. I'm getting involved in clinical trials that are being done here. I'm getting involved in evaluating clinical trials. um, and starting to lay the foundation for me to understand how to successfully run clinical trials and be able to implement this at whatever program I end up uh, long term. So that's I had a very specific interest academically that I wanted to achieve here, and I think this has been an amazing place, a great place to get that started.
2: Hey, it's Cole. Uh, yeah, you know, just to echo a lot of what Matt has you know just said and had said earlier, I think you know one of the beautiful things about an institution like this and 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 numerous of the other fellowships is being in a place where there's basically limitless opportunities in what you want to do. And, whether that be clinical trials, whether that be basic science research, whether that's, you know, just clinical research, um, all of those doors are open when you're at a facility like this, Uh, you know, the the networking and and really kind of connecting with that part of the field is obviously invaluable as well. Um, And I think it basically just, it, it just opens up multiple new pathways so that you can kind of customize your future that much more. Uh, And so I think, you know, obviously first and foremost, it, 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 it will make you better prepared to take care of this subset of patients. There's no question. Uh, But I think it will also empower you to potentially put yourself in a position where you
3: can, you know, create your practice uh, the way you want it. Uh, Ryan here again. Uh, I think for me, um, I've always kind of wanted to be more on the terms of general to specialize. I kind of always want to be more specialized, subspecialized. And I think Getting a intense, dedicated training in a particular discipline within neurosurgery, um, depending on whatever discipline you decide on, it's really helpful. And as Matt and Cole alluded to, the network here at MSK is great, um, and just the even non-neurosurgical, the amount of um, smart, um, very dedicated people um, is just sounding here. So it's good to kind of rub shoulders with the ambitious people and. think drives all three of us to try to push our field forward in the future.
0: Well, that's a perfect setup, Ryan, because, you know, as we bring this uh, to a close, I think the future is exactly what I'd like to ask you guys about. Um, It's a great privilege to do this podcast because I get to interview luminaries in every field and I, I get to ask them, what do you see on the horizon for your field? And, you know, I get to ask that with vascular, with spine, with uh, oncologic neurosurgeons. But in this process of of interviewing fellows in all these subdisciplines, I've, I've been trying to ask that same question to people who are not 20, 30 years down a particular road of a subspecialty, but people who are just starting out. And so who may be looking down that road with a different perspective than someone who has been walking it for so long. So, you know, so much of what has been the tip of the spear for neuro-oncology in recent years, you know, Dr. Bilski has been putting out some impressive papers about proton therapy for chordoma. And a lot of, at least with primary um, CNS neoplasma, a lot of the, the large and high quality studies have been extensive resection for GBM and, and different tools in the operating room for us to get a better extent of resection. But I wonder from your perspective, when you're looking at the future and your next 20, 30 years of practice, what exciting things do you see on the horizon with the neuro and you, you might even phrase it, what do you intend to do as the new subspecialists in this discipline?
1: Um, I think that neuro-oncology, like some other areas of, of neurosurgery, our ultimate goal is to put ourselves out of business as neurosurgeons. Um, the immunotherapy and new chemotherapies and medical treatments of cancer is progressing at such a rapid pace that I hope we have a very bright future that, you know, before my career ends, that we'll be taking a lot of neurosurgery out of the neuro-oncology uh, perspective, because um, what we do, while it's very helpful, um, also is harmful in itself to patients. I'm optimistic that some of these treatments that the brilliant people here are finding in the lab will be able to be progressed to the point where it's, it's much more effective. Uh, in the immediate term, I hope that we continue to advance um, the treatment for patients doing better surgeries, using more advanced technology to minimize our impact on people and understand um, what we do has profound effects on the brain and how to minimize those.
2: Uh, yeah, you know, I think big picture, there's the, the number one goal, obviously, is, is you know, to cure the cancer uh, and to extend the livelihoods, um, as well as the quality of life. And I think that a huge portion of that also comes with understanding what we how we treat whether it be surgically or not has side effects and has risks cetera and so understanding that quality of life and longevity is uh, innately tied to the treatment that these patients receive um, is I think really important to customize the, the treatment for each patient I think uh, there's some incredible new things on the horizon whether it be immunotherapies or uh, you know, window of opportunity studies, uh, looking at different chemotherapeutic options. You know, oncolytic viruses, et cetera. There's just a lot of really exciting things coming down the pipe. That, you know, until until we figure out the answer, uh, you know, that we've got a lot of really smart people in this field that are pushing things forward and, and turning over rocks until we do find
3: that right answer. Uh, finally, Ryan here. Uh, I think on the spine um, spine side of things, I think um, it's just been really exciting. Uh, as Cole mentioned, to see the, just how great the systemic therapies have really gotten over the last 10 to 20 years. Uh, immunotherapies have really gone from their infancy to really prolonging patients. And all the different molecular testing, uh, we've really been able to own, own in and see and really expand both the quality as well as the lifespans of many of our patients. Um, I think, uh, and I've had many conversations with Dr. Bilski as, well, as well as our other two spine attendings, uh, Dr. Barzai and Dr. Newman about this is in the past, uh, a lot of the, and by definition, all spine oncology surgery is palliative, Uh, where only we're not curing any disease, we're there to make their quality of life better, whether it's pain or a neurological deficit. Um, And I think with the significant improvement in systemic therapies, um, we'll start to start applying a lot more of the fundamentals of spine surgery. So correcting deformity, um, kind of restoring balance. And I think that's kind of the where i think the future of spinal surgery is going in the next 20 to 30 years
0: phenomenal well matt cole ryan gentlemen uh time is precious and i appreciate you giving yours to me and our audience um i think this was really insightful and like i said i i appreciate uh the ability to get multiple perspectives from multiple i guess you could say sub sub disciplines covering cranial and spinal neuro-oncology for uh for our listeners so Thank you all for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast today.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks, JP. Disclaimer time.
0: The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.